This podcast may not be suitable for children. If you are easily offended or bothered by strong language or dark humor, this may not be the podcast for you. This podcast accepts no responsibility for butthurt feelings or erections lasting longer than four hours. Thank you. Welcome to the What the Was That Podcast. Tonight, we're going to be talking about local legends from true crime and a historic North Alabama cemetery. I'm your host, Dwayne. And I'm Jill. So, today, we took a little road trip. And I mean a little road trip. About 45 minutes north. And I'm talking minutes, not miles. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we went to a cemetery that is kind of tied in with some some local lore and i i'm always amused by the fact that i i feel like i grew up knowing this story but maybe i only learned it as a teenager but i actually had to tell it to you who's lived here his whole life and has family all in the area Oh, and the the thing is i also found out my mama knows about it yeah your mama worked with people that live in the house right and And, i had no idea yeah so now that we've talked enough about something that our listeners have no idea what's going on um why don't you tell them what we're talking about so the local legend or lore has it that a mother was playing hide and go seek with her three children and as she found each of them she killed them with an axe so it's a high stakes game of hide and seek for real so as she she found them and killed them she took them to the attic and hung them from the rafters so when she'd come back down after the first child to find the next one they would get up and run and they were running through the blood of their sibling tracking it through the house I mean that makes sense if they're running from her right um so it's told that the kids have no idea what's going on because they're not seeing what's happening. They're playing hide-and-go-seek with Mom. Well, she kills all the kids and gets them in the attic. And the, the, the haunting part of it is they say that the blood that collected in the attic had soaked through and formed a, a, a puddle, I guess, on the ceiling and was dripping down to the floor. Well, that, that makes sense. Like, if you had a leak in an upstairs bathroom, eventually the water's going to seep through. So, Correct. Or I even, mean, yeah, like, blood like, would do the same, I assume. Correct. So, there there's also uh, sayings that, that the footprints that were running up the steps to the the second floor in the attic that those footprints can't won't go away they they sand the boards and the footprint comes back they replace the board the footprint comes back and they have redone the ceiling and the blood pool the stain still comes back through the paint they've done that many times and then the they replaced it eventually, and it still comes back through the new sheetrock. 
And now I can I can see it coming through the paint because anyone who's ever tried to paint a light color over a dark color knows that it it can, for lack of a better term, can bleed back through <laughs> <laughs> over time. Um, and you've got to use a lot of paint right. to cover that dark color. But if you're replacing wood and sheetrock... Yeah, that shouldn't come back. Right. So... Um, so so what happened with, with Mom then, according to this legend? So the story also goes on to say that she uh, went to a mental facility and got rehabilitated and released... And moved to Mississippi, where she had four children. Oh, so she started a brand new life. Uh, sure. New guy? New guy, new kids, out with the old, in with the new. Yeah, nobody knew anything ever happened, I guess, right? Yep, I'm pretty sure she didn't brag about it. Uh, probably not. So so that's the, the, the urban legend. So how did they find the, the people in the house, according to the legend? Um, the according to the legend is a, a cousin was home with him and he got out of the house and was found in the middle of a, a highway that goes to Huntsville, and so they stopped and got the police out there. Okay, okay. So, so I did a little digging and have managed to find some proof that some of this is actually true. Some of it. Some of it. Um, now, I, I can't speak for ghostly footprints reappearing and bloodstains and that kind of stuff. Um, but the the murder actually did occur in that house, in, in what we have lovingly dubbed Oleander Murder House. Yes, the murder house. <laughs> um, so, so let me just kind of set the scene for you. So we've got this old house that used to be an old school house. And about what year was this? Um, this this happened in 1953. Not 1953. 1953. And we figured out that in 1953, my mother was 11. Yes. And she she actually remembered a little bit about this. A little bit. Um. So we have three kids. We've got Rosalind, Ricky, and Ronnie. Um, those were the names that they went by. Um, Rosalind was the baby and Ricky was the oldest and their parents were Pearl Cheney Griffin. Cheney was her maiden name and Arnold Griffin was dad. So Arnold, he, he worked out of town. Um, he worked at Plymouth, which was in Detroit, I believe. Um, so, so he wasn't around a lot. I guess. Um, so now, now back in in fifty three, Alabama's workplace was not great. We yeah, had, that that was probably his best opportunity. Yeah, to, is to travel up north to where the car boom was happening, and they was manufacturing cars like nobody's business. Right. And the only place you could really get a good job down here would have been at the steel mills in Birmingham. Right. But that may have not been his cup of tea. Well, and. You know the the family ties were were here. Pearl's family was all here, so I imagine when when he got this opportunity to go up to Detroit, she opted to stay here 
where she had the family support. So right. she had so, three little kids, too. So she I can mean, get, get help raising them while yeah, he's at work. I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, the oldest child is, is six years old and the youngest one's three. So that's th- that's a lot of work. A lot of work. Anyone who has kids can, can tell you that. So she is at her parents' house, which is this converted schoolhouse. And and she had been having some, some mental health problems recently um, that she had been seen by a doctor for. Um, the doctor never had any indication that she was going to hurt anybody or, or do anything like that. Um, she later described that she felt her nerves let go about four months earlier. Let her nerves let go. Yeah. So, remember, this is 1953, and everyone had to be prim and proper, especially a woman. Right. So, she couldn't say, I'm losing my shit, or, hey, I'm having a nervous breakdown. Right. She had to be... Her nerves let go. Right. Her nerves let go. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when, when I say I'm about to lose my shit... Your nerves are letting My go. My nerves are letting go. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. start using that. Yeah, sounds nice and ladylike, me doesn't too. it? I'm going to yeah. start using it as well. My nerves are letting go. You better watch it. <laughs> <laughs> use that one on the kids and confuse them. Yeah. Why should you say? stare at me. Um, <laughs> so this, this schoolhouse had a, a partially finished upper floor. And the, the kids were upstairs playing. The family, for some unknown reason, had all left Miss Griffin home alone with the kids. Now, Miss Griffin was home on a a leave from a mental institution. Well, I'm not I'm not sure on that, but that's what you're. That's what Mama said. Yes, and she actually worked with Miss Griffin's aunt. Right. So she was home on a. A, I guess what I would refer to as a dry run, you know, to mm-hmm. see if she if if everything clicks and she's okay in the a environment. Home, a home pass. A home pass. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, for some reason, they left her children home alone with her during this. Yeah, that's the first thing you do. Yeah. So the the kids are upstairs playing, and they call her upstairs to play with them. Like so, kids would do. Right. Yeah. And so that's probably where the hide and seek part of the legend comes in. The kids wanted to play with mom. So when they call her upstairs, she picks up her dad's, her dad's razor. And now, mind you, she, she later said, too, that she's repeatedly told the family that she's suicidal. That's probably why she had been seen by a doctor. And, and so the kids call her upstairs, and she picks up her dad's razor. Okay. So in 2020, when we say her dad's razor... We're not talking about the, the safety razor safety razor that has 14 different blades for a smoother cut with a little bit of lotion gel up the top so we don't chafe your skin. <laughs> no, we're probably no, talking about a straight blade. No, we're talking about a real man razor back in the day that if you didn't do it right, you sliver off a piece of skin and you put, well, you try to put it back on mm-hmm. and hope that it worked. Yeah, but it probably didn't. So, so, so she picks up this what... I would think of as a straight edge. Straight razor, right. And and goes upstairs to her kids. And and that's unfortunately where she then cut their throats. Mm. Mm. So she she told the I, I don't know, the coroner, the police 
whoever, this, this was from a newspaper article, um, that she started with the oldest, which was Ricky. Remember, my oldest, he was six years old. That's, that's still not very old. No. Started with him because, you know, he would probably have the most understanding, I guess, of what was going on. Right. And, and then the other two tried to escape. So that lends a little bit of truth, too, to the running through the blood and, and leaving and footprints. And part, yeah. And actually, one of the newspaper articles I found showed a picture of a small bloody footprint with the newspaper article. So, but that wasn't a, a haunting thing. That was a crime scene photo. Yeah, it was to, taken on site right. that day. Right. Um, so the, the kids... Like I said, we're, we're upstairs playing, so there's a little more truth to that. And, and she slit their throats, so there's blood pooling. Um, she also slashed her her left wrist, and it says deeply. So I'm guessing she really did a number on it. Right. And cut her right arm and leg. So I'm guessing when she really cut her left wrist, she probably didn't have much strength in that one to cut the other. the other arm very she, well. She may have grabbed that tendon. Right. Without that tendon, your wrist is pretty much pointless. Right. And it also says she had some cuts on her neck and her chest. So oh. she was trying to really make sure that she did herself into. Yeah. This was not just her trying to murder her children. This was an attempt at a murder-suicide. Right. So her brother actually came home um, and I'm going to guess at his name. It's spelled H-O-S-E-A. Someone out there knows how to say that, but it's not me. I'm going to call him Jose. Jose, it is. Yeah. So, Jose's 16 years old. 16. 16 years old, and he comes home. Okay. And he sees blood dripping from the ceiling in the living room from the upstairs. Okay. Now, can you imagine being 16 years old and coming home and... See, can you imagine being any age and seeing blood dripping from the ceiling? I, I don't even know what I would think or do, and right, I mean, especially at sixteen. But even now, right. I mean, I, I'm not sure how I would handle that because when could, you walk home, you don't expect to see anything like that in the house. Right, and I mean, how observant even are you when you first walk in your home? Like you're usually backing in and. Holding keys and stuff, and taking your jacket off. Yeah, like, know. and then you turn around and you're standing in a pool of blood. Right, and you're like, oh wow, what is that? Yeah, and then I mean, this is where the people that you love are. Right, so you know something horrible has happened. So proceed. Sorry. So, so he is is my understanding is he runs to either a neighbor's house or down to the road to stop a car and gets help. So that's where they escape from the house and stop somebody out in the road would have came from. Well, right. That makes sense. Right, yeah. But she she wasn't actually trying to hurt him. They were already all upstairs. Right, right. He just happened to come home. Right. So um, I, I guess because she was, was older and... Guys, if y'all hear the redneck truck that just drove by, <laughs> I am so sorry. We live in Alabama. They probably don't have a muffler. And it was so loud. And I don't understand it, but kids will be kids. Yes. So, anyways, what I was saying about Jose, who's probably not Jose, um, but I don't know how you would say that name. Someone tell me. Jose without a muffler. Ho Hosea? I don't know. Anyways, he 
probably when he stopped someone and police and ambulances showed up, I'm guessing mom was was able to be saved and the kids weren't. The kids were probably already dead before anybody arrived because they're smaller and going to bleed out quicker. They were probably dead before she tried to do herself. Right. Well, and especially, I mean, a three-year-old, that's going to happen pretty quickly. Yeah, because a three-year-old probably has maybe a pint and a half of blood running through them, maybe two. Yeah, I'm sure someone's going to correct us on that because that's probably wrong. But yeah. we're just guessing, folks. Get off of us. Um, <laughs> I mean, it can't be a whole lot of blood. I mean, right. They're little. They're small people. Um, so she later told her father, and, and when I say she, I'm talking about Miss Griffin. Um, I kind of feel like I shouldn't be calling her Miss Griffin when she did something so bad. Should I call her Pearl? Uh, yes. Let, let's say Pearl. Pearl. So Pearl tells her father later on that I killed my children so they would go to heaven. I couldn't leave them behind. But she also had told a police officer that she killed her children because she she was going to kill herself. And she didn't want to leave them behind to get pushed around. Pushed around like somebody was. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if someone was being abusive. I mean, but the terminology back in that day would lean towards, uh, yeah, maybe an abusive parent or an abusive parent, or or maybe I don't. Maybe she thought they'd be bullied at school for having the mom that killed herself. I. I, I don't know. We we have to remember, too, she had a mental illness and obviously wasn't thinking rationally at this point in time. Right. So I, I don't know what her meaning was behind that. Um, but those were two of the statements that she had made. She killed them so they wouldn't be pushed around. And she killed them because she wanted them to go to heaven and didn't want to leave them behind. Basically trying to take her children with her. I guess. Well, you can't take them with you if you don't go. Well, she tried real hard. She did. Someone just came home. She may not have been expecting her brother to come home at that point. Um, Oh, hey. Mm -hmm. uh, A three-year-old has about three to four liters. Okay. So that's not... that's. I mean, a three-liter Coke is not a lot. No. You can pour that out real quick. Yeah. So... The the coroner actually asked her if she realized what she was doing was wrong after she killed the first child. Because, I mean, you would think the the death of your child would kind of snap you back to reality pretty quick. And you would realize, oh, maybe I should not do this anymore. Right. And you might stop at the first one. Right. And try to get help and not go after the other team. Right. And what she said was, no, I was going to go through with it. So, I don't, once again, obviously not in a rational state of mind, but that's that was her answer to that, that she was, she was following through. Now, um, there was also a photo in the paper of the blood dripping into the living room. Okay. So, there's, there's truth to that, too. Right. That, that did happen at the crime scene. Now, whether or not there's ghostly blood in the house now... No, I don't know. I had talked to um, one of our friends, and her relatives lived in the house at some point. So I asked her about it because she had been in it, and she would neither deny nor confirm the reoccurrence of the blood stain on the ceiling or the steps. 
Um, I don't take signals real well, so she may have been winking at me or something, saying <laughs> she's seen it, but, yeah, I don't know. If I had to guess, I would bet it's something similar to what I was talking about, more of a practical thing that that blood, they probably finally did have to replace boards and replace the ceiling because the blood's going to seep through the paint. Right. Because it's a dark color. Yeah, but... But I would think after they replaced it, it probably didn't reappear. I, I would think so. So, so anyway. maybe maybe a half-truth Half to truth. that. We'll go with that. Yeah. So, but but there is photos of that with the, the newspaper clipping. Um, I guess they were a little more graphic in newspapers back then than they are now. Well, not everybody got butt hurt so easy. <laughs> so, she was charged with three counts of murder, but they took her to Bryce for sanity tests which was a, a mental hospital in, I think, Tuscaloosa that has since closed. Yes, it is. It was in Tuscaloosa. So um, I, I didn't really find any any paper trail from what happened after that um, as far as the trial or anything. Um, so everything from this point on is pure speculation. Pure, pure speculation, other than the fact that I did find her grave. And her grave is up in Michigan, and she is buried next to Mr. Arnold Griffin. Which would have been her husband. Yeah, father to these children that she murdered. Right. So, I would have to guess she either served some time in the mental institution, or received some treatment, or was found insane. Maybe served some sort of prison term, but... I, I couldn't find any record of any of that. But she ended up back with baby daddy, living it up in Michigan. Yep, where... And and when I say, you remember, I said this happened in 1953. Right. So Arnold Griffin, dad, he died in 1997. Okay. And Pearl died in 2012. Which, eight years ago? Yeah. Wow, so... So they they lived a long life together. Can you imagine living that long, knowing what you did like that? Well, can you imagine living that long with someone that you know murdered your children? Like, what was he thinking? Right, right. That's that's my thing. Like, yeah, the guilt. You know me. The guilt would eat me alive, and I would have just tried to kill myself until I finally succeeded. But right. I I don't know how he continued on with her. She also did not ask to go to the funeral for the kids. Wow. They took her from the jail to Bryce, I think, on the day the kids were buried. And, and you know, now even usually officers will escort prisoners and stuff to funerals. Yeah, and, even if it's in, in handcuffs and shackles, they'll right. still let you you'll come to a loved one's funeral. Right. But she didn't even ask. So, wow. And the, the children were buried in identical white caskets and they were buried in what was described as a single grave. Right. And at first I'm picturing like digging one hole like maybe the family couldn't afford much and they just stacked them on top of right. each other. They just dug it a little extra deep and stuck, right. them, stuck them, stacked them high. But we found out that the children were actually buried in Huntsville which is not that far from us. Right. And they were buried in Maple Hill Cemetery. Correct. So we went there today and actually found their graves. And I'm guessing what they did is 
it's it's actually probably multiple plots. They just dug it as one hole. Right. Instead of digging a three foot wide, six foot deep hole, they dug a nine foot wide, six foot deep hole. Right. And then just put them in there in in one vault. Well, they may not have used vaults then. I guess. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, that was in '53, so uh, I'm I have no idea. Right. But anyways, they they were buried side by side, and, and we actually took photos of their of their grave markers today, and and that kind of brings us to to what you were going to share because Maple Hill Cemetery is kind of an interesting little place too. Right. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background on Maple Hill Cemetery. Um, it was founded in 1822 on two acres of land in Huntsville, Alabama, and as of today, it covers over 77 acres. And over 10,000 monuments are spread out through this cemetery. So, so it grew a little bit. This thing is massive. I mean, I've been to some big cemeteries because we kind of like doing that. Yeah, we've and found that just it's interesting to look at some of the monuments. Right. And today when we pulled up, you can you can see the majority of the cemetery... But there are so many headstones. They seem really close together. Very close. Like, normally you have a foot marker, and that's where, you know, the the foot of the casket is. But there's like a little 10-inch wide path between foot markers. It was crazy. But, um... And and the markers go right out to the curb, too. Right out to the curb. And this thing, we have a small compact car... And I was, I jumped the curb once because you can't hardly turn on the roads because they were built for small, such small cars. It's like driving your car down a bike path. Right. So Maple Hill's also one of the largest and oldest cemeteries in Alabama. Uh, during the day, it's beautiful. It's well-maintained. They put a lot of work into keeping it looking nice. And uh, it has some amazing memorials. Now... One of the memorials is dead center of when you pull in, it's a main gate, and you go straight back, there's a memorial that has two little roundabouts on each side of it, so it's by itself. And we found out that that is Albert Russell Erskine. We're not good with this name game, are we? No, we're not. (laughs) Um, E-R-S-K-I-N-E. Jose. He <laughs> he was the president of the Studebaker Corporation, which, as you know, car folks should know that Studebaker was one of the first mass-produced cars to compete with Ford. And he took that company from a what he referred to as a one-horse and buggy company to a multi-million-dollar franchise. Um, He passed away in 1933 by a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the heart. That took some work. I mean, listen, to the heart. You ain't going to die instantly. You might miss. You could live through it. You might just hit a lung or something and hit a rib and it bounces off. um, But his his monument is, is... it's nice. It's really nice. But I didn't know that this that Studebaker had a connection to Huntsville. So that that, he apparently is still here. 
So that's uh, that was interesting to me. So, you know, when we go to these um, cemeteries, we we play this little game. Right. Where, where we kind of compete to see who can find the oldest grave marker. Find the oldest grave marker. Well, the oldest intact grave marker is that of infant Mary Frances Atwood. She was buried in 1820. But you said it was founded in 1822. So she was buried two years before this land was left to the city of Huntsville. So she must have been part of the family right. that owned the land. Right. And, you know, the, the funny thing about this is, is the oldest intact grave is that of a child. Because this cemetery is also known as the Dead Children's Playground. Oh, okay. So that's that's strange that a child's marker, because those are usually smaller, too, so they usually don't hold up as well. Right. Um, I have some more notable mentions for people in the cemetery. I'm going to come back to them in a second. Okay. So as, as the, the cemetery grew larger from a two-acre cemetery to over a 77-acre cemetery. The The children were starting to, to play on the headstones and dig in the gravel and you because know, kids get bored. So the, the what, some type of committee that works with... Like the, the planning committee. Yeah, the planning committee decided they were going to put in a playground. Because with, it, it used to be a big deal that the family would go for decoration day right. and just spend the whole day there yeah and it used it, that used to be a, a large thing i mean people would go visit cemeteries often to to hang out with their loved ones and whatnot and you know um it's something we don't do a lot now but but so, the, the kids would start getting into trouble right so they put in this playground and the kids could go play at the playground and that was my ankle um the the kids didn't have to worry about things because it's not like today they weren't being snatched up left and right. Yeah, you could let your kids go play and at the playground and you're over here at grandma's grave and they're going to be fine. Right. So the the official name of the park is Drost D R O S T Park. Um Jose. But everybody just refers to this as the Dead Children's Playground. It's it's pretty well known in the paranormal yes, community. Um, a couple of the podcasts that I've listened to have mentioned it a few times. But, so, when you... Let me adjust my mic. Sorry. <laughs> so, when you, when you first pull into the, the park, you go up this hill. And it's not a super long hill. It's maybe 500 yards. No. I don't know distance. It's no. like six inches. Yeah, it's not that far. <laughs> so, you go up there and you pull in this little this little parking area, and when you pull in, you're like, "Okay, where's the graveyard or the the playground?" Because your your eyes are kind of led. There's a hill that yeah. the road continues down towards the graveyard. Right. So your brain is thinking the park is down that way. Right. And but when you pull in and you you when you kind of get your bearings straight. This playground drops off into like a little cove, I guess you mm-hmm. would say. That's about 
20 foot below where you're parked. And you're looking right at it. Yeah, you're looking straight at it. And let me tell you what, it is creepy. It is straight up creepy. You don't even realize at first that you're looking at it. That's the weird thing is and you're you're looking at it and you're like, where's the playground? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh shit, there it is. It's, it's right there. Right. <laughs> so um, we got out and we walked around and, and, you know, just observed things. And I was videoing. And I, I, I know I made a comment and I said, this place is creepy as hell, but it's cool as shit. Yeah. And um, well, even as we were driving up the hill, like as soon as we start getting away from the road, I start saying, "I don't like it. I, yeah. I don't like it. I don't like it." So, <laughs> so we get up there, and one of the things is, is they say that the swings will swing by themselves. Well, I try to be logical the best I can, and um, today. The wind was blowing a little bit, and you could you can see leaves rustling around in the back, and you can see the swing is moving. One swing is moving a little, the other swing is moving a little as well, until I get up to it and I start talking about the swings moving and the, the playground itself and how it's haunted, and the the very last swing starts moving a little more. And the wind is not blowing at this point. Well, and at that point, too, like we're kind of standing in front of it where if the wind was blowing, we'd be blocking it a little right. bit, too. So I was like, okay, uh, I'm down with this. I, I, I get it. Well, I had remembered reading or hearing that somebody had put weights underneath these swings so they wouldn't be moved by the wind. So I go pick up the swing the one that was moving the one that was moving and I pick it up and I'm like oh this thing's heavy I mean it, it probably weighed a solid five six pounds yeah thinking the wind shouldn't be able to blow that that's a heavy and, swing and I hand it and, you know Jill reaches over and takes it and when I let go of it you can see her arm drop and the muscle tense up in her arm yeah because like, I wasn't expecting it to be as heavy as it was right. it's a swing because it's and she's like wow this thing is heavy so while she's holding that swing, I reach over to the other one and pick it up. I'm like, oh, this thing is light. And it's it's an identical swing. They're both the bucket swings for yeah. the like toddlers, little kids. And this thing is light. And I set it down. and We kind of switch. Yeah, she set hers down and I set mine down. We swap. And I picked the, the first one up that was heavy. And all of a sudden, it's not heavy. It weighs the same as the other. I'm like, wow, check this out. It, it's weighs the same yeah so i go pick it up and and he's right it it probably the swing lost five pounds yeah so i want that diet so right (laughs) so you know when she we first got there she said she felt that there was a little girl in that swing and and if you don't remember from the first episode we we kind of let everyone know that that i'm a little more sensitive to this stuff and um kind of can get feelings and i don't necessarily call myself a medium um definitely not a psychic or anything like that but i just i I tend to trust my instinct because it's right a lot of times when and i know things i shouldn't right um but it was you know it's like something got out of that swing when i picked it up oh it was a little girl yeah i I told him there there was a little girl in this swing. yeah so you know that that was one of the 
the cooler things that we we experienced today and um well then what what was really funny though is after that you know i felt bad because you made the little girl quit playing right and i walked away uh, i was i was going to kind of um, another little flat section up about 15 foot and, and, and y'all keep in mind this little girl i'm talking about you can't see no like, <laughs> she is she's talking to nothing yeah it's not a real little girl and i'm walking away and i can hear her talking to this little girl uh, telling her that she can get back in her swing and yeah, play. And say, I'm, I'm sorry he bothered you. Yeah. You can get back in. Well, I didn't see it, but she said, hey, the swing kind of jiggled a little bit and started moving again. And I turned around and I'd be damned if the swing wasn't moving again. Mm-hmm. So that, that was pretty cool. Um, but let me get back on track to the... Well... So so why is this playground supposedly haunted? Just because it's a, next to a cemetery? Right. Well, the legend has it that in 1960s, Huntsville had a rash of child abductions and murders, and the children's bodies were found in shallow graves at this graveyard. Now, I scoured the internet. Um, I've been on the Facebook looking at you know forums and whatnot, Reddit, all, that, all the good places to find information. You and, should have watched Law and Order. I saw that episode. And um, there's nothing documenting this, so I don't. I, I'm going to say that probably didn't happen because if it ain't in the papers, mm, especially in the '60s, it probably didn't happen. Right. That's. I mean, that's what we didn't really believe the murder house story until I found newspaper articles. Right. So I'm not saying that it did happen. I ain't saying that it did happen. But I will tell you this. I know that there are children, at least four, that are buried in that cemetery. And I'm pretty sure that those kids go play at that playground at night. Mm -hmm. Because at night, they say the swings will move. And when I say move, they like somebody's in them swinging. Now remember, this swing set is down in like a little bowl surrounded by rocks. Like it's like they, you can see where they had to blast the rock out with dynamite. Yeah. So the wind is not crossing. It may be coming down a hill, but at night, usually the wind doesn't blow that much. Well, I really could only feel one or two good gusts right. while we were there. So, you know, I would have to be there to actually see it. But some of the other legends are, or some of the other sightings, I'm sorry, is that they will see lights throughout the cemetery at night and there are no power there's no power in the cemetery at all so there's no street lights there's no nothing it's dark well and of course there's pictures and videos on the internet that people post of this playground with ghostly figures and the swings moving and y'all take that for for what it's worth with a grain of salt yeah i would i would say probably 90 percent of it is people who have faked something yeah to get views and likes and that kind of stuff but but, but i would say some of them are probably legit captures yeah and to be fair i mean if you if you're close it is so worth coming to check out just because once you get in there if if you're not sensitive to anything it's just kind of a cool place to see it isn't it's if it wasn't such a creepy place it'd be a neat setting for a playground and a picnic oh yeah but it's straight up creepy of course 
it, it, it rained this morning and it was cold. Right. But we didn't see any kids playing. It was all grown-ups coming up to look at this place. Right. <laughs> no. Um, and I'm not real sure. Um, I don't think I mentioned it already that I got on the swing set. Oh, she did get in the swing set. Yeah, and I, I was swinging for a little bit. I swung. Yeah, I was swinging. <laughs> and I was really dizzy and lightheaded the whole time I was swinging. It was weird. But when was the last time you had been in a swing? A long, long time ago. Do you have balance issues? I do. Is your equilibrium messed up? It is. I have so, ear problems. Yeah. So it could be related to that. I'm pretty sure that's it. I'm going to need to go to the park in A-Rub tomorrow before we go back and swing on the swing there. All right. And see. Um, so <laughs> earlier I said that there were some other people that were definitely worth mentioning. And... Um, I had no idea that we had a major league baseball player from, you know, Alabama that was buried there. His name is Don Mincher. Minch, Minch, sure. Jose. M I N C H E R. Mincher. Um, he played for the Twins, the Angels, the Oakland A's, and the Texas Rangers. We also had Bill Neighbors, who was who played for the. Um, or in the American Football League back when there were two leagues, not just the NFL. And he played for the Boston Patriots and the Miami Dolphins. Go team. Do the sports. Yeah, do the sports. And then there were some, some political people. Yes, there um, there were some governors and senators from the 17 and 1800s, and I am not even going to try their names Mm-mm. because, oh, dear God. They fudged their numbers a little bit, though. One guy's listed as a senator and a governor. He's only buried one time. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, unless they cut him in half. Okay. No. <laughs> so, um, one other person that I'm going to briefly hit or touch on is Molly Teal. And she is known as the Black Widow of Hazel Green. Hazel Green's like a little suburb of Huntsville for people that aren't familiar with our area. Right. Somehow, she managed to amass six husbands. Six. And all of them died mysteriously in untimely deaths. Hmm. So, I have my notebook right here. Does she have any tips of why uh, she was yes. doing that? Just, uh, I'm asking know. for a friend. Asking for a friend. But you can, <laughs> you can write this down in your notebook. That I think we need to do a Black Widow episode. I think that would be good. Yeah, we will definitely put that... And in she, a future episode she list. would definitely be in there because that's kind of intriguing of how how she got six. I want to know how they died. Yeah. So, um, so that is our little trip to the Oleander Murder House and the Dead Children's Playground. Well, our 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 trip part one because right. we're gonna go revisit it tomorrow probably. Yes. And take a lot more pictures. Look for some more of these grave markers. Um, We did find the kids from the murder house today um, and took pictures of that and took pictures of the playground. But we want to try to find some more of the other markers. So, Yeah. So, I guess if that's all we got. Yeah, we will we will see y'all in future episodes. Find us on Facebook at um WTF was that pod. 
It's also on Instagram. And you can hit us up on our email at WTFWTPodcast at gmail.com. Correct. That's and you can get in touch with us, message us on Facebook. Um, hope you enjoyed it. And as this trucks along, hopefully we're going to get better. So um, just hang in there and bear with us. And, you know, we're going to do the best we can and have a good time and maybe share some knowledge that you don't know. Yeah, send us some stories. Oh, yes. We're going to do some listener stories, too. So um, if you're interested, um, we'll get in touch with you and maybe do a over-the-phone interview. Let you tell your story. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you all.